Welcome or welcome back to the company of the cat. Hi, how are you? In this video, I'm going to drop a theory about glass candles, the visions they see in the flames and crystals, gemstones and fire magic in general. By the way, still at my parents, just so you know, in case there is stuff going on in the background. I think we have literal astral projection in the novels. In my video about the wells, I talked about how the trees, wells and the moon seem connected and how the moon is a simile for the spirit. Through the weirwoods, the green seers are able to connect with the moon and look through it. The god on earth was watching his cold kingdom from a pearl palanquin. Doesn't this sound like the moon? And his firstborn son was the pearl emperor, making again a connection to the moon since pearls are associated with it. We have many instances where we see the moon with eyes or looking from the sky or itself being described as an eye. Same with the stars. The eyes of magical beings are described as stars and the stars are described as eyes looking down on earth. The out-of-body experiences we have in this universe are literal astral projection, I believe, meaning that when they use their abilities, they literally see through the stars and the moon. And it makes sense. The stars and the moon are always above them and they look down on planetos. If there is a place where someone's spirit would be able to see everything from, that would be the sky. Even the little riddle we know about the one-eyed Bloodraven could be a way to describe the night sky. How many eyes does Lord Bloodraven have? A thousand eyes and one. Quaith also communicated with Dani in her dreams through the stars and Daenerys is guided by the stars more often than not. Additionally, I believe that the humans and the children of the forest aren't the only ones able to remove their spirit from their bodies. The direwolves can also do that and see through the stars. We have some quotes that not only hint at that, they all but say it. We have a lyric from a song that they wrote about Rob's victory at Oxcross that read, and the stars in the night were the eyes of his wolves, and the wind itself was their song. Bran told us that the direwolves sing to the stars, and we have John describing how Ghost was looking at the stars like something was calling him. Plus, in his wolf dreams, John hears the moon talking to Ghost, while Ghost was skin-changing into Nymeria and Sagi. The red-eyed wolf is playing the role of the green seer among the direwolves. This is the main idea. I explained how I think the trees and the wolf dreams works, and today I'm going to talk about the fiery function of magic. Fire and flames in the novels, because of magic, have all the attributes ancient people in real life associated with them. Fire was considered a life-giver, cleanser, a way to purify and heal, a protector. Most of them are not a divine power stolen from the gods and a method of divination. Fire was described as a living being. It ate, breathed, grew, decayed and died. It was so central to the human experience that it persisted in the minds of humanity as a natural element. Almost every culture had a type of pyromancy as a practice. Even in Abrahamic religions, fire and flames are associated with God's intervention and presence, as well as with the Holy Spirit. The divine aspect of prophecy and wisdom in Judaism, the tongues of fire in Christianity, the one who empowers the followers with spiritual gifts and power that enables the proclamation of Jesus Christ, and the power that brings conviction of faith. In Islam, too, it acts as an agent of divine action or communication. Therefore, almost everywhere, fire was a way of connecting and communicating with deities. Since every natural element has magical powers in the novels, at least it seems like it, then obviously fire has as well. Now, as I said before, I believe that visions and dreams are most likely astral projection, and I think the flames also grant this ability, like the trees, they help them connect and see stuff beyond time and space, as the stars do. We even have many instances where flames, fires and torches are compared to stars. Long after the voices had faded away, Arya could still see the light of the torch, a smoking star that bid her follow. 
All around them the town burned. The night air was full of smoke and the drifting red embers outnumbered the stars. Torches flickered along the walls of Dragonstone, and in the camp beyond he could see the hundreds of cook fires burning, as if a field of stars had fallen to the earth. Wherever she looked she saw fires, they covered the earth like fallen stars, and like the stars there was no end to them. Cook fires were being lit all around them, overhead the stars were coming out. The long red tail of Mormon's torch burned as bright as the moon. We thank you for the stars that watch us, we thank you for our hearts and for our torches that keep the Sabbath dark at bay. The night was black and overcast, the torches so numerous that it was as if the stars had come down from the sky to storm the dragon pit. Torches just blind you. On a clear night like this, the moon and the stars are enough. Like the stars and the moon, fires and torches help you see at night. But they also burn closer and stronger so they can blind you. Flames, like the trees, are a crutch. They help you see beyond time and space like the stars and the moon do. And I think it's even more of a hint the fact that the Red Priests see visions in night fires when the stars are out. The thing is, fire is life-giving and yet also carries the power of destruction, if not used carefully. We even see many visions as well as reflections on fire artifacts, like the Dragonbinder, being described as twisted. Mel's visions work the same way, it's not like she knows exactly what she is seeing in the flames. They see very vague symbolic shit, and they themselves give meaning to these visions. Unlike Bloodraven, for example, who knows better what is going on, at least it seems like he does. Reading the flames is a skill that people can develop. In the Red Temples, everyone can go and learn how to read them. It's not easy, but it's doable. Fire visions and fire magic is a skill, not a bloodline thing. Melisandre sees things in the flames, she herself gives meaning to them, and for every other piece of fire magic we have seen she needs to give blood sacrifice. The Valyrians even put the fire in their blood through magic. People with Valyrian blood have dragon dreams and fire visions when asleep. But as we have seen, these two are a double-edged sword. They are vague and people made fatal mistakes many times while trying to follow these dreams. There is a reason why fire is the most used form of magic by humans Unlike every other natural element, humans can create fire. They cannot create earth, water or air. They can find ways to use them to their advantage, but they cannot create them. Fire, though, can be created and controlled by humans with the help of other natural elements. It also seems natural that fire can help you project your spirit to the stars, that according to Rolor, look down on earth and guard humanity. To the naked eye, stars are specks of light decorating the sky, but stars are huge burning balls of gas, like the sun is, the sun that makes the moon glow at night. All religions in the end talk about stars, the sun and the moon protecting and watching and helping them. Rolor, the faith of the seven, the church of starry wisdom, the moon singers, the weirwoods that glow with moonlight. Even the Dothraki believe that when someone dies, the horse god parts the grass and claims the deceased for his starry kalasar, so the deceased can ride the nightlands. And the moon is a goddess and wife to the sun. Flames connects you to the fiery celestial bodies that look down on Earth like eyes. And that brings me to glass candles. It is claimed that when they burn, the user can see across mountains, seas and deserts, give men visions and dreams and communicate with others half a world apart. So glass candles too give you similar abilities to the trees and flames. They help you connect and free your spirit. And it makes so much sense. This is the part where I'm gonna take into consideration George Martin's hippie past. Glass candles give off an unpleasantly bright light that does straight things to colors. Glass candles are inspired by crystal gazing, I think, 
And that was inspired by various forms of divination around the globe, where a reflective area was studied. The Achaeans, according to Pausanias, used the mirror to divine diseases or learn whether there was a danger of sudden death. In front of the temple of Dimitra, there was a well. A stone wall separated this well from the temple and steps led down to it from the outside. There was an infallible oracle there. They attached the slender cord to a mirror and let it down into the well, balancing it carefully so that the water did not cover the face, but only touched the rim. Then, after making a prayer to the goddess and burning incense for her, they looked into the mirror and it showed whether the sick person will die or recover. Such was the power of truth in this water. Similar myths and practices we see in many Indo-European cultures. Odin gave an eye so he could drink from the well of Mimir, a well at the roots of Yggdrasil that provided unlimited wisdom. These myths were most likely used as inspiration by Lucian when he wrote about the palace of the Moon King in A True Story, another wonderful thing I saw in the palace. Suspended over a rather shallow well, there is a large mirror, and anyone who goes down into this well will hear every word that is spoken on earth, while if he gazes on the mirror, he will see that every city and every nation just as clearly as though he was looking down upon them from a slight elevation. At the time I was there, I saw my native country and its inhabitants. Whether I myself was seen by them in turn, I am not sure. We see similar stuff all over in our story. Wells at the roots of the weirwoods, trees trying to catch the moon, and more. The first picture that comes to mind when crystal gazing is mentioned is lead crystal balls. It was not the only material used, though. They were using mirrors, polished steel, the surface of the water, pools of ink, and various natural crystalline stones, such as quartz, beryl, calcite, obsidian, and amethyst. The points of light reflected from the polished surface were helping the person to see beyond what it was in front of them, something that many times caused blindness, and that explains why many people with visions and wisdom are blind in real-life myths, example being Odin and Tiresias. And this is a thing in the novels too, Followers of Zoroaster used a golden bowl. It was inscribed with celestial symbols and set with sapphire, and by fixing their gaze upon the brilliant revolving sphere, they gradually fell into a hypnotic trance, during which visions appeared to them. Aztecs and other Mesoamericans were using obsidian mirrors for crystal gazing. Sounds very similar to the glass candles, if you ask me. They made images of the god Tezcatlipoca on obsidian. His name in the Nahuatl language is often translated as smoking mirror, and it's about his connection to obsidian. These mirrors were used for shamanic rituals and prophecy. In the novels, where we know obsidian is magical, I would say that making an artifact that essentially helps you astral project sounds very logical. Obsidian is frozen fire, after all. It comes from the volcanoes that we know the Valyrians used as a magical power source. If fire is a means of divination and magical power, then frozen fire is the same. Precious stones, metals, and gems were always associated with stars and planets. The talismanic influence of the stones associated with celestial bodies is closely connected to the early ideas regarding the formations of precious stones. In an old work on the occult properties of gems, we read metal and precious stones usually lie with their first seeds deep down into the earth and require continuous moisture and a mild heat. This they obtain through a reflection of the sun and the other stars in the manifold movement of the heavens. Therefore, also the metals and precious stones are nearest related to the planets and the stars, since this influence them most potently and produce their peculiar qualities, for they are enduring and unchangeable, and so they're in their concordance. Their hardness and the way they shine were attributes granted by the stars, which they possessed while clinging to the earth. These gifts signify the stored-up energy derived from the stars and the connection to them. 
This whole idea was the base for birdstones and zodiacal gems, stuff that George Martin for sure is familiar with, considering his ideas and younger years. We even have the 12 sacred gemstones in the Bible. There are various trees and myths that grow precious stones or were made from them. In the Gilgamesh epic, we see more than one such tree. One under the guardianship of the Elamite king Humbaba, another tree bearing precious stones was seen by the hero after he had passed through the darkness for half a day. The Kalpa tree of Hindu religion, a symbolic offering to the gods, is described by Hindu poets as a glowing mass of precious stones, the roots were of sapphire, the trunk of diamond, and its ripe fruit consisted of rubies. At this point, I don't know whether I'm seeing stuff, but the coloring here is very similar to Weirwood's. The Chinese Buddhist pilgrim Hyunchang was visited India between 629 and 645 AD, tells of the wonderful diamond throne, which according to the legend, had once stood near the tree of knowledge, where beneath its spreading branches, Gautama Buddha is said to have received his supreme revelation of truth. This throne had been constructed in the age called the Kalpa of the Sages. Its origin was contemporaneous with the earth, and its foundations were at the center of all things. When the whole earth was convulsed by storm or earthquake, this resplendent throne remained immovable. Upon it, the thousand Buddhas of the Kalpa had reposed and had fallen into the ecstasy of the diamond. However, since the world had passed into the present and last age, sand and earth have completely covered the diamond throne, so that it can no longer be seen by human eye. And again, I don't know if I'm seeing stuff, but all this to me sounds very, very similar to Weirwoods and Greensears. We are told by the children of the forest that deep down into the center of Planetos, there is power. The strongest trees are rooted in the dark places of the earth. The volcanoes the Valyrians used were providing power from underneath. And gemstones are the stars of the earth, formed deep inside planetos. If trees can be magical, obsidian can be magical, why not precious stones? That they were considered literal gifts from the sky. The followers of the seven consider crystals holy and wear them around their necks. Maybe now they are not enchanted or magical, but I wouldn't find it weird if they were at first. Same for the crystal crown of the High Septon, which is reminiscent of the starry crown of Hugor. And let's not forget the gemstone emperors of the Great Empire of the Dawn. I want to make a whole video on the Great Empire of the Dawn, so I'm not going to spend much time here, because the two more mentioned gems we have in the current storyline were not included in gems that were associated with the emperors. Rubies and sapphires. And I want to talk about them. We know for sure Mel's ruby is magical, and most likely from a sign the magical place with a crazy amount of precious metals and gems. The ruby at Melisandre's throat caught the light as it turned her head, and for an instant it seemed to glow bright as the comet, her eyes as red as the great ruby that glistened at her throat, as if two were afire. At her throat the great ruby drank the daylight, her eyes were two red stars, shining in the dark. At her throat her ruby gleamed, a third eye glowing brighter than the others. The ruby on his wrist glimmered in the morning light like a dim red star. The ruby on the wildling's wrist darkened, and the whips of light and shadow around him wreathed and faded. He glanced up through the bars, and there she stood in shimmering scarlet with her great ruby at her throat. Her red eyes glimmered as bright as the torch that bathed her. The great ruby at her throat seemed to pulse with its own radiance. The great ruby at her throat drank fire from the glow on the brazier. Rubies in the novels are associated with fire since most of the time we see Mel's ruby, as well as the one that she used on Rattleshirt. Both are magical, the one on her neck not only helps her with illusions, it also glimpses every time she uses magic. It looks alive and it seems to drink the light. It feeds. 
Ghost Eyes and Weirwood's Eyes have been described as rubies too, but these are the only times when they are not associated with fire. Even when we see the Lannisters use them, they are on the Valyrian steel swords, cherry wood for the scabbards, bound in red leather and ornamented with a row of lion's heads studded in pure gold, perhaps with garnets for the eyes. Rubies. Garnets like the fire. We see gemstones being connected to eyes, visions, magic, and in the Rubies' case, fire. The crown of King Aegon I was a Valyrian steel circlet studded with rubies. The Silirio made young Griff a black iron chain with three rubies. Rhaegar's armor was adorned with rubies, and the warrior women of Kayaka Yanaya also wear rubies and black iron piercings. So again, we see them connected to fire, since Kayaka Yanaya is a major city of the patrimony of Hirkun, and Hirkun was another name for Azura High. And let's not forget that the pommel of Serilyn Payne's new greatsword is a skull-shaped piece of dragonglass with ruby eyes. Even real-life myths and beliefs around rubies were associated with fire. The ruby is the gem of summer and the sun. It has many names in Sanskrit, and a lot of them show that it was more valued as a gem by the Hindus than any other. The glowing hue of the ruby suggested the idea that an eternal flame burned in the stone. The ruby was not only valued for its beauty, but it also believed to confer invulnerability by soldiers in Burma. To attend this end, however, it was thought to not be sufficient to wear these stones in a ring or other piece of jewelry, but it must be inserted in the flesh and become one with the body. Again, the ruby in this tradition resembles the ruby Melisandre has in contact with her skin. The icy equivalent of rubies in a soyaf is definitely sapphires. Blossoms of hard-cracked blood decorated the mortal wounds that covered him like a rash. Breast and groin and throat, yet his eyes were still open. They stared up the sky blue as sapphires. The eyes of the others and the whites are sapphire blue, like blue stars burning. We see people constantly putting sapphires and even a star sapphire in their eye sockets after losing an eye. Simeon's star eyes, Lewin said as he marked numbers in a book. When he lost his eyes, he put star sapphires in the empty sockets, or so the singers claim. Thus, it was not a raven who took flight from Storm's End that day, but Vagar, oldest and largest of the dragons of Westeros. On her back rode Prince Aemon Targaryen, with a sapphire in the place of his missing eye. Both these characters are very interesting. If Simeon's legend is inspired by things that actually happened, then he was blind, but he could see things, meaning that like many blind people in our story, he either had visions or was a skin changer, if not both. Like Arya, who started skin changing even more when she became blind because the third eye opens. Aemond is even more interesting. First of all, he was not very well liked. Second, in House of the Dragon, he said that he should be king, because he was the one that read and knows what he needs to do. This, along with the fact that he started canoodling with Alice, who was a woodwitch, makes me believe that he had found out stuff about the prophecy, like other Targaryens, and he started the thing with Alice precisely because he was a witch. The Sapphire Eye is again in a person that knows something about the long game, or at least thinks he knows what to do about the long game. We see sapphires being paired with pearl, moonstone and silver, words often used to describe the moon, and materials used for the eyes of the gods in the septs. Blue and sapphire blue are also colors associated with maidens like Rian, Liana, the wife of Hugo, as well as the corpse queen. And unlike rubies and red, blue is constantly mentioned as the color of ice and death. Sapphires attracted divine favor in many cultures. There are many stories and qualities that are attributed to sapphire in real life, especially in the New Age hippie culture. 
And I believe George borrowed a lot from this. According to the Jewish Talmud, Moses was given the Ten Commandments on sapphire tablets, making the sapphire a sacred stone. The ancient Greeks associated sapphires with the god Apollo. At the oracle at Delphi, sapphires were often worn due to their belief that they are connected to the spirit world. And later on, sapphires were popular with necromancers and witches, due to the supposed ability to tap into the third eye. Sapphires especially were shrouded in mystical properties. It was called a stone of destiny, and when the stone is moved or the light changes, a living star appears. The Egyptians also carved amulets out of sapphire into the shape of the Eye of Horus, as was mentioned in the Book of the Dead, the ancient Egyptian book of the spells to guide one's journey into the afterlife. Some Egyptologists believe the two eyes of Horus gradually became uh, distinguished as the lunar eye of Horus and the solar eye of Ra. Others argue that no text clearly equates the eyes of Horus with the sun and the moon until the New Kingdom, and one even argues that the eye of Horus originally represented Venus as the morning star and the evening star, and only later became equated with the moon. In any case, the eyes represent celestial bodies, and like the ones in the novels, they were looking down on Earth. Now, as I said, I do believe that Martin drew inspiration about the magical properties he is giving to the gems in the stories from real life. And from what I get, he indeed gave Sapphire similar attributes to the ones above, Third Eye, Spirit World, Prophecy, Stars, Moon, etc. But, and it's a big but, the stuff above, with the exception of the Star Sapphires, were not about Sapphires. <laughs> All these were attributes given to Lapis, Lazuli. The English word Sapphire derives from the Greek Sapphiros, from Hebrew Sapir, which means blue stone. When the Greeks were talking about sapphire, especially in writings before the Roman times, the era when the actual sapphires got discovered, it was about lapis lazuli. And the reason lapis lazuli was associated with spiritual stuff and celestial bodies was that the word lazuli comes from the Persian lazavart, and it means sky or heaven. So this is a stone from the sky or a stone from heaven. This makes sense considering we are talking about a dark blue stone with gold specks that resembles the night sky. All these alt spiritual books were written mostly by people that read directly from translations without additional notes from experts, meaning the pointers that explained how this is not sapphire but lapis lazuli were not present, and for some reason it didn't occur to them by the specks of gold description that maybe it was something else. Anyway, putting my rant about lapis aside, I think Martin chose actual sapphires because it is the exact opposite of the fiery rubies and lazuli wouldn't work that well in this context. Plus, sapphires were used for eye treatments, and since many people put them in their sockets, it makes much more sense. All religions in the novels believe that magic comes either from the depths of planetos or from the stars, moon and the sun. And both are true, I think. It seems like all celestial bodies have power in their core, and planetos is a celestial body in its own right. Weirwoods are this universe world tree, similar to Yggdrasil. They connect the heavens to the underworld. Wells, dragonglass, fire, water and gemstones do the same, they are getaways. Wells and trees physically connect levels or worlds in various myths, and fire, water and gemstones do the same through light and reflections. People believe that these twisted and different reflections they were seeing were a vision of places and times different to their own. In A Song of Ice and Fire there is magic, so these beliefs are true, and not just superstitions, legends and myths. All these instruments help them astral project themselves and open the third eye. Bro, that was a lot. 
but there was no way I could do one video for all of this. This is it for today. One of my next uploads is going to be the first contest between a Westerosi king and a Byzantine emperor, but I'm still trying to decide on the format. I was thinking on being on camera and having a board or something, but doing that means no script, and I'm not sure how much eh, ah, and edit <laughs> there will be, except if I speak Greek and put subtitles in English or something, but again, I'm not sure how many people would be down for reading because from the stats I have, the Greek people are very few and half of them are my friends. So yeah, if you have ideas, sure, I would like to hear them. If you enjoyed this one, subscribe if you haven't, press a like and leave your thoughts in the comments. Until the next one, bye!